Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans, Doug Tonus, along with Mark Kay from Australia, because I can't say his name, which we established last podcast, and Fred <laughs> Pfeiffer, the prophet of his own mind. How are you doing, boys? Oh, I forgot how I was supposed to signal each of you. So, Mark, I guess we'll go uh, with you first. <laughs> no, look, that's fine, Doug. I'm doing well. How are you, more importantly? I'm just glad to hear your voice. Unfortunately, you're making – I thought you were going to make a really good point at the end of the last uh, Big Red Bus, but um, you got cut off there. So, I just wanted to let you know straight up that um, I will never cut you out of a podcast, Doug. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's just maybe after 30 minutes, just time runs out sometimes. There's an expiration date on everything. Uh, as, as well, as there's this microphone cords, you know, out there. because pull we, out microphone cords. Yeah, I mean, because who would record digitally when you could have a mic recording someone who's miles away next to hey, a recorder? Man, I record 60 style. 60s style, just like the Beatles did with uh, Sergeant Peppers. That's I, how I do it. I got to say, it's, pretty, it's pretty, awesome. pretty amazing. Like the the quality, though, is actually really good. I'm surprised. Thank you. But it actually yeah. does come out really nice. And somehow it does seem almost like it's better than the digital recording, which I don't understand how it's even technically possible. But, but it seems to Until work. Until I so. kick out the, uh, the mic. Yeah, Until we kick great. out the, the mic cord. <laughs> um, anyway, lots of things to discuss. So first of all, the Bulls beat the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know if we want to go around with uh, some quick thoughts. Uh, what say you? That was my hidden well, cue for now. you, Fred. I mean, what I'll say you now. was for you. Don't <laughs> okay, you remember? We, we talked about I it. it. <laughs> I got it. I know what's going on here. Well, I mean, I'm still eight miles, seven miles high after last night, which was one of the greatest you know performances I've ever seen from a Bulls team in the last five years. It was just phenomenal to see him be the team that many have predicted to win the East. In the New Jersey, in the New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, and you know, I just feel like if, if we're going to have contributions from IO and and guys like uh, Derek Jones Jr. Javante and Javante, all right, Tony Bradley, if we're going to have those kind of contributions at this level, like to me, there's no ceiling on this team. Like I think they can beat anybody. I don't. I don't think it's likely they'll they'll get to the finals this year, but I don't think it's impossible. And I don't think many fans had, at all had dreams of finals before. Uh, you know, before the season started, but it's legit there. Like, I think we're one move away at, at you know, to improve our power forward position. Um, but for IO to come in and as a second rounder and contribute like he has, is just absolutely stunning. Even I, who was an unapologetic IO nut, uh, didn't expect him to shoot 42% from three and lead the team basically in three point shooting. So uh, I'm ecstatic and it's great to see the mini Cooper fans get silenced. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, yeah, okay. <laughs> was that my cue to talk? Yeah, there you it? go. <laughs> mini mini Cooper, Cooper is definitely your cue, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I, let me say this because it was a, it was a great win. I don't want to take anything away away from the Bulls in this sense, but this this game kind of felt more like a a referendum on the Nets than it did the Bulls. I, I mean, the Nets just don't look good right now, and may, maybe that's they won five in a row. What are yeah, you but talking they still about? don't look that good. I mean, the Bulls <laughs> exposed them like. Forget about Vucevic and his struggles and the fact that he couldn't really score and expose their small front line. But like Levine and and DeRozan, these guys were getting to the rim at will. And I I, I, I don't know how – well, I don't know what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets, I suppose, is my point. But like I, I assumed that they would run away with this thing. Even after the Kyrie stuff, I assumed that they would still be the best team in the NBA. They don't look like that at all. I don't, I don't care what their record says or doesn't say. Like They just didn't look very good at all. So this was – um. 
This was obviously a really good win for the Bulls. They're seven and three. You know, if you had told me after the first ten games they'd be seven and three, I would absolutely take that. But uh, yeah, I, I thought the the Nets looked kind of kind of crappy to be honest with you. But nonetheless, the Bulls came back and, and be, basically just had to defend off Kevin Durant, and and, and you know he was amazing. But uh, that was really the only guy they were going up against. And you know, DeRozan just continues to do DeRozan things, and. Uh, he has just been so damn good through 10 games that uh, this signing just looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, and maybe just to discuss the Nets a little bit in general, to your point, Mark, they have a great record, but their net rating is 15th in the league. Yeah. And, and so sort of showing that, like, yeah, their record is okay, but they're, they're not blowing teams out. You know, maybe their, their losses and wins, you know, they're ending out, like, right in the middle so far. So, they, yeah, they aren't playing as well as their record is right now. Mm. But that said, you mentioned, I think it was first show, second show, wins in the bank are still wins in the bank. So, yeah. you know, if Brooklyn is not playing well now, I, th- I think we'd be scared to death if we saw Brooklyn in the playoffs, right? Like, like you know, yeah, if yeah. Kyrie, good chance he'll be back. You know, who knows what's going to happen with the New York vaccine mandate. Even if, even if he refuses to get vaccinated, that may end prior to April. You know, so who knows? Who knows what will happen? But I, I would not be excited to see the Brooklyn Nets in the, in the playoffs, you know, despite whatever is happening with them now. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great win, and the Bulls are now 3-2, and two against teams are going to say a quote-unquote good teams. You know, they dropped two to Philly. They beat the Celtics. They beat the Jazz. They beat the Nets. And then they, they beat all four of the games that you figured are games they should win. So, you know, that's, that's really about as good as you could expect. I think we'd all be ecstatic with the 7-3 and three record, you know, if we were going back in time to ourselves of October 19th prior to the season starting. So, uh, you know, going into this next stretch, we got, we got some good games. And maybe before the next show, there'll be three. It'll be the Dallas Mavericks, Golden State Warriors, and the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, what do you think, uh, Fred? We'll start with you on the the record over this next week for the Bulls with these, you know, three kind of tougher matchups. Uh, I don't know if the Clippers are, are in that same category to me, but yeah, three three good matchups. Definitely, at least three good teams. I just want them to go five hundred over the next few games. That'll be tough with three games. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it? Wait, let, let's go over the schedule first. What are the next five games? Well, I, I thought with, it was a five. I don't think stretch. you can go over five hundred over five games either. You know, just <laughs> do the math on you real quick. I mean, I, it's, you've got to go with an even number. <laughs> to have 500 games um, unless you're predicting a tie yeah but but we're gonna go three games because that's how many games we have before oh no i guess four there's a monday game so yeah we'll probably oh i knew it i knew it so we add the lakers four (laughs) games we got the mavericks warriors clippers and lakers four games you want them to go 500 which of those games are wins for you well the clippers aren't playing exceptionally well i think we could beat them yeah i mean if we go 500 i hope we can beat the clippers and i hope we can beat the blazers uh, beating the Warriors and the Lakers on the road is going to be difficult. But, you know, there's no team. This is my greater point here. Like, uh, you just talked about, uh, will we scared to play the Nets? No, we won't. There's not one team in the NBA I'd be frightened of. I think this, I'd rather play the Nets than the Sixers, frankly, after what I've seen so far. I think the Sixers are going to be a tougher out than the, than the Nets right now. And the Bucks will be difficult, too. I don't feel like we should be afraid of anyone. This team is as good as any team in the NBA. I don't think we'll be favored against those three teams, but against every other team, if we played the Knicks, I think we'd be favored. Um, you know, I, I'm really confident that this Bulls team is going to be built for the playoffs and win a first-round series. So, And I think we're a lot closer to the title than people realize. I posted on, on Twitter, um, do you believe the Bulls can win a title in the next two years? And I was surprised at the amount of people, it was over 50% who said yes. And, you know, that would have been – I was laughed at. 
for stating those things in the past, you know, eighteen months by many people, including you, Marque, from Australia, <laughs> including me, um, just just two thirds, two thirds of the people on this show, <laughs> <laughs> over fifty percent of the people, over fifty percent. <laughs> so, uh, and it, I just think it's just a testament how far we've come that people are starting to realize and believe in this team, and it happens overnight. You know, like suddenly the Lakers look beatable, and and the Nets look beatable, and and the Bucks look beatable, like. It's, we're not that far away. So let's go 50% over the next four games and we'll, we'll be cooking with gas. What say you, Mark? Well, see, I think this is more of a reflection of where the league is at more so where the Bulls is at. Like, I don't think the Bulls, the way they're currently constructed, is your typical standard championship-type contender. But having said that, like, if you look around the league, like the Bucks aren't doing things at the moment. We'll, we assume that they'll come good at some point. I don't rate the Lakers at all. And then the Western Conference outside outside of the Lakers, like maybe the Jazz are going to walk through that conference at the moment. That's the way it's currently shaping up. We've got Dallas coming up on Wednesday night. I don't, I don't rate Dallas either. So, yeah, I, I take your point that look, I still scoff at you when you mentioned that they're going to win a title within the new t- within the you know the next two years. I don't think that's realistic. I'm not going to be uh, expecting that. But I, I guess it's more, like I said, a reflection of where where the league is at at the moment, where it doesn't, there isn't one dominant team, and I assume that was going to be Brooklyn. Maybe it will be once Kari comes back and those sorts of things. But at the moment, the Nets just look completely gettable, as we saw yesterday. And beyond them in the East, right now, uh, the only team I really fear is the Heat. And I don't consider the Heat like an, an, an absolute bona fide championship contender either, like in, in a typical sense at least. So... I scoff at you, I laugh at you because that's what I'm programmed to do, Frederick. But at the same time, there is a a small ounce of merit to what you're suggesting. I won't go as far as you because I, I don't want to, you know, jo- join you on the uh, the loony bun about bus rather. But um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I join us. Say no to a championship. <laughs> jump yeah. on, jump on, Mark. I guess. Jump on. I guess I would look at it this way: if you look at the history of the league, there are years where you basically have dynasty type teams winning. And then there are years where there just isn't a team composed like that and someone mm. else wins. And so like Bulls dynasty team, you know, Lakers with both Kobe and, and Gasol and with both Kobe and Shaq dynasty team Spurs over their various iterations, dynasty type team. Then you look at like the Pistons got one, definitely not you know, like a really good team for a long time, but not a dynasty type team. The Dallas Mavericks with Dirk Nowitzki got one, definitely not a dynasty type team. The Miami heat, with Wade and Shaq was not a dynasty type team. You know, like you, you get these other teams that just sneak in in a year where they're just, for whatever reason, you know, the, the team that maybe has that composure to be the, the equivalent of this, the Golden State Warriors in their prime or whatever, like they get injuries and they're out or they just, there's no team that has that makeup this year. And so kind of to both of your points, Mark, you mentioned Brooklyn seemed like they could be that team and there is obviously big risk of injury for that group or just kind of aging out of it, you know, Harden let himself get way out of shape. It doesn't seem like he's ever been able to get back since that, you know, when he was trying to just to get out of Houston and Kyrie is just doing Kyrie weird things. So who knows what happens there. And then, and then the Bucks people kind of painted them as that team. I never really believed in the Bucks that much, like going into last year, they won the title. I didn't look at the Bucks as a team that was really likely to win the title They got kind of lucky to win, right? You know, they won because Kevin Durant stepped on the line, you know, that, and they won the title because of that. Like, otherwise they don't win. I mean, that's how fluky it was for them to win. So, uh, you know, I just, I don't think that they're really that type of team, even though they're really good. And so, you know, the Bulls are now in this big group of maybe like 10 teams 
someone is going to come out of those 10 teams and that team won't be a dynasty caliber championship caliber team. And so when I look at that, I'm like, yeah, the Bulls have as good a chance as any one of those other 10 teams. So it's still pretty unlikely that they do it. That's like a one in 10 shot, but they have as good as chance as any of those teams. And you know, that's, that is exciting. Like we're going to go into the playoffs thinking like there is a chance. You know, I know you mentioned Mark the Heat, like we should be afraid of the Heat. Kyle Lowry yesterday was 0 of 8, had 0 points in 38 minutes. He's playing awful, and he looks every bit of uh, overweight 35-year-old guard that he is. So, like, <laughs> if you run through the that, that conference, you know, I, I let's, let's run through this exercise really quick. I'm going to name a team, and you tell me if you think the Bulls would be favored in that series. The Sixers. Well, yeah, well, I mean, based on the results. <laughs> right, maybe I shouldn't then. Obviously, the Sixers would be no. The Heat probably no. I'd say the Heat would be favored. But let's go from that point down. The Bulls are a three seed today. The Wizards. <laughs> yes. Cavs. Yes. Nets. Uh, no. Depending no. on what the Nets look like at that time, which is right. a huge open but question. I would say they'll, they'll be favored. There's three teams that will be favored. Yeah, the rest, they, I think the Bulls would be favored. Let's go. The Knicks. Yeah, I'd say the Bulls are favored. The Raptors. Yeah, it's yes to everyone else except maybe Milwaukee. That's can, we, can we just say it's way too early for this conversation? We've just clocked past 10, 10% of this No, season. we want to talk about what we're going to do in the playoffs 80 games from now. <laughs> I love this conversation. I this love this conversation matters, too. Mark. No, no it's all that matters. I, I, I guess my point is like I, I take your point that the Bulls have a chance, a greater chance than what, than what I initially thought they would. And I think that's more to do, like I said, with where the league is positioned right now and also where the Bulls is positioned. But I, I need to see more. And, and the reason why I say that is – like, yes, like take the Brooklyn game, for example, where a five-man lineup of DeRozan, uh, uh, Io, Derek Jones Jr., Tony Bradley, and, and Alex Caruso. Like that unit or that four-man unit where you've got DeRozan, uh, Tony Bradley, Derek Jones Jr., and, and, and Io, they're outscoring teams by 23.9 points uh, per, per 100 possessions. Now, that doesn't really make sense to me because there's absolutely zero shooting in that lineup when you add in Caruso. So true. Um, yeah. Io's shooting 42% from three, Mark. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. Io's jumper looks broken. I don't care if it's going in right I agree. now. It doesn't matter what you think disgusting. it looks like. It's going in at a 42% rate. Who cares what you think? His jumper well, I'm, is I'm fine. suggesting it's not going to continue going in at a 40, 42% rate, which, I, again, you're not a big deal. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, theoretically on paper, that lineup shouldn't be as effective as what it is. But right now... It's just like extremely impressive because they're getting it done uh, defensively, which then turns it into offense. As we saw yesterday, where the Bulls would get stops, Io would get in transition where he's at his best, and he was doing some amazing things in transition. And like, I, that's, I guess that's what I'm just saying. Like that lineup on paper, to me, like it it doesn't make sense. Like that shouldn't be able to score. Like they got no shooting. The only half court creator out there is Demar Derozan. Um, but somehow, some way, that five man unit is just tearing teams up. I need to see more. Because at the moment, it's a 10-game sample. I don't want to get too irrational. Maybe this is just me being a little bit conservative and not going too C-Red for it. But uh, I, I take your point, I guess. But uh, I just don't want to be, you know, getting too excited now, talking about, you know, the Bulls being potential uh, title contenders and then we coming back on the podcast in two weeks' time and the team's lost five in a row and we're looking, you know, we're closer to 500. I don't want to get to that point where I'm getting too excited. Well, Mark, why don't you just take this opportunity then to apologize to the listeners about your take on Io and all your ill will towards them. Uh, once you use My this ill will. Well, I have I, no ill will to I, Io. I, I grew, I grew quite weary of all the experts who criticized the Io pick. Like, you're not an expert, Mark, so I, I don't criticize the Io pick. 
No oh my one God. criticized the IO pick. That's insane, Doug. That's insane. There were no tons one, of no people. No one criticized Who's your buddy IO from pick? Australia that I pointed out yesterday, Mark? They got all over me. Josh, I like that guy. He's a good guy, but he got all Troy? over me. Troy, I think you mean? Oh, Tro- I can't remember. I can't recall. Somebody got, you remember we were going back and forth? You called me, this bloke has got a lot of gall or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Josh, Josh, Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, so many were talking Josh is about. Good dude. Shout out to let Josh Lowe. Let me just finish this thought, Doug, and I'll, I'll hand it over to you for a nice uh, back uh, behind the back pass. There were so many of these uh, so-called, you know, draft experts that were talking about the uh, upside of Mini Cooper. Mini Cooper is five ten, so unless he grows six inches, uh, there's no upside. You can't count. You can count on one hand the number of sub six foot guards over the last thirty years that have really impacted winning. Size matters in the NBA. Uh, Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker. You know, only Kemba Walker had a, jo- a jump shot I thought nearly as bad as Mini Cooper's. Um, but it's like a one in a million chance that that guy's going to be a contributing rotation player in the NBA. There's no upside. So all this idi- all this idiotic talk about Cooper's upside really disguised the fact in, of how good Io was as a collegiate player and how much he improved over the course of three years. And it really bothers me. You look at talk uh, we as a fan base, we talked about Patrick Williams ad nauseum last year. Uh, you know, some of the most ridiculous, you know, like proud parent with a toddler type of talk. Did you see what Patrick did today? Look at it. He looked like he belonged there. And then he made a poopy and all these uh, ridiculous <laughs> conversations about Patrick Williams. Look at Io. In nine games, Io already has as many double-digit positive plus-minus games as Patrick Williams had in 71 games last year. This is going to so be your favorite in, stat forever. Let's now plus just put minus. that in perspective. And, and Io's done this against three teams. Let me. Uh, yeah, it is fair. He played 2,000 minutes last year. He's done it against three teams, Utah, the Celtics, and the Nets. He had double-digit positive plus minus. Those games that he did that against were good teams. And last year, Williams did that against Houston, Charlotte, and Orlando. So he's already surpassed, in my opinion, Patrick's rookie season. And people got to start <laughs> believing this kid and start giving him the credit he deserves instead of still talking about Mini Cooper, still talking about, uh, you know, why Iowa was. Uh, no one no is talking about Cooper except for you. You're the only one. Literally that's about no one. It. I am hunting down. Literally everyone. no one. Literally <laughs> no one. About Mini Cooper. They're no out one. there. I'll show no you all one. these tweets. No one. No the one is out there. Josh responded to you yesterday was because you brought up a tweet from the draft and, and came back to him. That's the only reason why he was talking to Mini, about Mini Cooper to you and why I entered the conversation. So, no, no one is talking about Mini Cooper. You are the only one talking right. about Mini Cooper because you're going on your parade now. Now, where you're crowning Io as the next future all-star of this Bulls team. That, that, that is what is actually happening here, Frederick. So, Go ahead, Doug. So I, uh, first, I'm going to say, if you want to bring up plus minus, at least, <laughs> for God's sake, like go look up a useful version of it. You cannot look at plus minus in like the raw box score and think it has value. Like there's lots of different versions of it that are like regressed against like what lineups you play against and competition and who you play with and other things like that. So if you're at least going to use a version of a, the stat, go find one that has like some merit to it, like some teeny bit of merit to it. Like even all the statisticians will tell you the raw plus minus is a completely worthless box score element because it doesn't, it doesn't, it does not attribute to like who you play with and who you play against and these other factors. So if you're going to use it as a positive stat, just use the version. Like like the simplest one is, I think, like the RPM. But there's like a million of them, like Raptor and LeBron, and I forget all these other ones that people come up with. Most of them throw out the stat entirely until there's about 40 games played. 
because you need that much time before it's merit. So I'm just well, going to throw it out I there. the one I use is very val- valuable. No, it's not. It's, it's only valuable. valuable because it, your guy looks good. Because it that's backs the, my arguments. That's yes, why. That, that's why. But it's it's statistically worthless. Like people view no, it as statistically what's worthless. The, uh, so what's that, the... Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, uh, so anyway. Look, I got another question. After look, I, that's fine. So that said, IO looks fantastic. And everyone loved IO. I don't remember if you were at my draft party this past year or not, or if you were busy. I wasn't. I was in Vegas, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... When we picked Io, everyone was ecstatic. It was like one of the most loved picks that the Bulls have ever made. And generally, everyone I know on Twitter was like, like super happy. And I think even Mark, who liked Cooper, also thought, hey, if they were going to pick one of the, like if you named your top three guys on the board at that point, Io was probably one of them. He was probably one of every single person's like top three guys that the Bulls could take on the board when we took him. So I think generally people are happy. Does it mean everyone thought he was the best pick? No, but I don't think anyone was like, oh, why did we take that guy? It wasn't like Doug McDermott, like when we took him and like everyone booed the hell out of the pick except for you. And everyone hated that. And Taj Gibson is the other guy. Like when we took Taj Gibson and not Dwan Blair, everyone like freaked out and hated that pick. Those are some picks that were like genuinely hated. Io was not hated by anyone. Like maybe he wasn't the first choice, but I think everyone liked Io. Doug, I, I keep a file called Time Wounds All Heals. And <laughs> in that file, me, I save all these bit. tweets. Uh, Josh Lloyd, 35 million followers. Yep, Cooper, top 10 upside. <laughs> 5 million followers. The, the, uh, career backup. I, I, I owe career backup. That's what he said. I'm going to go to our good friend, Salim. Here's Salim's uh, quote. You ready for this? <laughs> the 38th pick isn't going to get rotation minutes unless something goes wrong on a team looking to win and be in the playoffs. And I'm certain that TBJ is ahead of him because coaches trying to win rely on guys <laughs> who have experience, not second-round rookie, rookies, end quote. That's Salim. Now let's get to Mark. Mark <laughs> is the best. Here's my, well, our, our, our mutual friend, NBA Couchside, feel pretty confident that Dotson is better than Io right now and going forward. <laughs> better than him in college, still appears to be better than him now. Oh, my God. I love that guy, but my God, that was the dumbest tweet of all time. <laughs> Dotson. More Devin Dodson. Right, I'm not going to ruin Mark's day by coming up with right. his. Right, we're not, just let's regardless. Ignore, they exist and they live on my file called Time Wounds yeah, All Yeah, that's Heal. fine. Uh, people on draft day, some of them thought like, "Oh, I don't like this pick." Everyone I know liked the pick, like those. So yeah, that's fine. Like even my thought I was like, "Io was the guy I wanted." Like when we were up, he was the guy I wanted, and I said, "But he probably won't play. He probably won't be, you know, whatever second rounder." You know, my general stance is most second rounders just aren't going to play. It was like not yeah. like crazy talk, right? But Iowa's been great. He's in the rotation. I think we're all excited, you know, and, and maybe that's a great segue into our next topic is we didn't think Iowa was going to be in the rotation, except maybe you, Fred, at this point. And I think even you probably were like, well, I might take him like you. I know you believed in him, but you might have even thought it'd take him a while because he's a rookie and whatever, and, and, and we're trying to win. But he's there, and I don't think he's going away. I don't know if you guys disagree. And Kobe White's about to come back. And yeah. so it's like, where are Kobe White's minutes going to come from? You know, what's say topic. you? It's a great topic. Mark, I'll have you start out. And I'll correct whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, D- Doug said, what's say you? Which was... Uh, it was my, your, my, your my segue to you. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, seeing you as you have passed the ball to me, point guard, I will uh, I will have my say. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Like, I, I'm assuming it'll come from like just less minutes for Damar and Zach. And, and maybe initially, you know, maybe you consider resting Zach to a degree, well, the, depending on how... How uh how healthy Kobe looks and how how ready he looks I suppose but uh, why are we assuming Kobe comes back in and plays straight away like 
there's a need for him. I think the the best version of Kobe White clearly brings something to the to the table for this team. But if for whatever reason, you know, he's not. I mean, he technically will be ready to go, but he's obviously missed all of the off season. Hasn't played at all. Like, why are we assuming he's just coming back into the rotation? I think he will have to sort of earn it in the same way that Io has in, the, you know, the way he's just sort of surpassed Troy Brown Jr. So, I don't know if, if, if Kobe, when he comes back, gets back in the rotation straight away. And, and, you know, I assume he will over time. But it'll probably just come, uh, come um, you know, through bit parts um, type roles where maybe he takes a couple of minutes from Caruso, a couple of minutes from Ball, a couple of minutes from Levine type thing. But it's going to be a situation where he's probably not playing a ton regardless. And the, the way that Billy Donovan's going to get around it is just going with three guard lineups. And there'll be times where he chooses Kobe over Javante. There'll be times where he chooses Kobe over Derek Jones Jr. or an Alex Caruso, depending on the matchup or whatever it may be. But, um, or maybe even, maybe he'll pick him over Ayo. Like, Ayo's having a good run right now, but that's not to say he's going to remain in the rotation going forward. So it's an interesting situation to be in. The Bulls got, the, the Bulls got a really good problem to have. Like if, if IO is performing at this level now, which I wasn't expecting, uh, as you've, uh, so put, uh, keenly put out there, Frederick. But like if, if, <laughs> if IO is going to be a, a valid rotational player, coming back to what we started discussing where we were talking about this team being a sneaky title contender, like if you can get a player out of a player who you didn't necessarily think was going to be a player, then that just sort of boosts your argument there. So it's a good problem to have. I don't know what's going to happen. I assume Kobe would come in for Io, but if Io keeps playing like this, it can give you 15 and 7 off the bench and just completely change a game, then then that changes things. I think it's a fascinating question. Uh, you know, obviously, if Kobe comes in, we have too many guards. We just do, right? Now that Io has played himself into the rotation, and we don't have enough good power forwards. So I think there's a glaring hole there at the power forward position. Our hope is that Kobe can play himself into a tradable asset within one month. And by the trade deadline, we can turn either him, I I hesitate to say it, you know, or Io. I mean, gosh, I don't want to trade him, but who knows, right? You know, if it's a title and mean, get, means acquiring a power forward, it can make a significant difference and, you know, I'll, I'll be for it. Um, but one of these guys into a contributing role-playing power forward, I think, is a need. But big picture, Zach Levine's averaging 35 minutes. It's too much. DeMar's averaging 35 minutes. It's too much. And Lonzo's averaging 34.4. All three of those guys should be down around 32 minutes per game. So there's seven to eight minutes right there. You hand those over to Kobe. Caruso's at 28 minutes. You know, maybe get him down to 25. And, and you know, there's 12 minutes. But yeah, I think, Mark, you're probably right. I, as good as I was playing, I still believe in Kobe White, and I think he's going to be extremely important in terms of shooting up threes and punishing doubles on the second unit on DeRozan. I think he's he's going to get a good role to play for this team, and I, I, I believe in Kobe White. So, um, But we got to turn one of these guards somehow into a power forward. I guess that will lead into our next topic. Doug, yeah. what say you? Yeah, and I think, I think probably you sort of got to this, but I think there's – few ways the minutes are going to come one and this is something i want to chat about a little bit alex caruso had a lot of shine on him the first four games i think he's kind of subtly sort of not been really good uh, i think he did a great job on james harden defensively for stretches yesterday but like this dude makes some really stupid ass turnovers uh yeah. that 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 just drive me nuts and he doesn't contribute so much as i i thought he would yeah, you know, like whatever, it, and it's fine. He's he's fine, but he's playing 28 minutes a game. I could easily see his minutes being dropped down to like 20, 
and it yeah. wouldn't be like, oh, that's terrible. And mm-hmm. if we want someone who's going to give us a little bit more offense and, and a different look on the rotation, you could throw in Kobe for Caruso and you're going to lose some defense. You're going to gain some offense. Lonzo Ball, I think same thing. You know, Ball's a great fit, but again, 35 minutes a game, you know, I, I think you could drop him down to 28 and it's not going to be a huge factor depending on what you need. Uh, you know, Kobe White might help you there too. And just spelling Lonzo and DeMar, you know, I, Zach and uh, Zach and DeMar are both around 35 minutes. I don't think that's so bad only because for Zach especially, these are easier minutes he's playing now than he's played recently. Like he was, you know, playing all of his minutes like on the ball recently. And now he's just like, he's just coasting up and down the court half the time. And then like five minutes stretch. So yeah, we'll give Zach the ball, let him just go, go score five times in a row. And then we'll let Zach take a breather for a while again. So I don't think they're wearing on him as much, but I do think Kobe can find some time there. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just expand the rotation to use more guys and Kobe just takes a little bit of time from each of those guys. Uh, I do think a trade for a power forward is interesting. Uh, We chatted about that a little bit on the bus. And so maybe, Mark, I'll ask you, a few guys we threw out there, uh, Siakam, um, who is uh, Christian Wood, Christian Wood, and uh, Jeremy Grant, three guys who are kind of like high-level power forwards, you know, like difference-making power forwards. Uh, there's potential reason why you think all three might be available, and you know the price tag for them is maybe not entirely insane. Like maybe they're also gettable. They're not guys who are going to require you know three first-round picks to pry away. Well, I'll throw out another name, and this is the name that I've had my eye on for the last month. And mm. I proposed a trade for this man on my Discord, and got laughed. Got laughed out of the room, <laughs> but I'm I'm very I'm very keen to get Harrison Barnes um, on, onto this Bulls team. Um, I've, he's been absolutely unbelievable for the Kings this season. He's he's an older guy, 28, 29, so you know he's not going to be here for the long haul. Um, not to say that you know Pascal or, or someone like that will. Maybe Jeremy Grant. Maybe he's a, he's a bit younger, but I just love the idea of continuing to be small and. And I, look, I don't think this team needs a big bruising power forward. I know we touched on this topic last week, and I, I still, I'm still not scared of 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 the size of any team really. Like a, a lot of teams are huge at the center position, but I don't, they're not huge at the power forward position. I know Fred, you mentioned last last week the Sixers, but like they got Tobias Harris as their power forward. You could easily put Harrison Barnes on him. Uh, the Heat, PJ Tucker, he's their power forward. The only one really that I'm scared of is, is Giannis at when he plays power forward. But there's no feasible solution to Giannis. So I'm not even really concerned with that. But I want Harrison Barnes on this Bulls team. I proposed a trade, which I won't reference right now because I'm scared of the uh, Patrick Williams stand base coming after me. <laughs> this this but, is um, the Bulls beat. It's a protective environment, Mark. You can propose your trade. Well, I mean, like, uh, look, I'm, maybe I'm not as high on Patrick Williams as others. But, and maybe this conversation is moot right now because he's, he's injured. He's probably out for the year. His value is low. All that sort of stuff. But... I was, I was thinking, you know, get, if you could trade Patrick Williams, if you, could, if you could trade Kobe White and maybe that Portland first rounder and, you know, go and grab a power forward. For me, at least would be more of a swing forward like a Harrison Barnes. I would, I would, I would definitely do that. I, I wouldn't necessarily make that deal just for Harrison Barnes. The, the Kings would have to send some other pieces back, but that's the kind of player I'm thinking about because he would fit so damn well on this team. And like, if you just, if you were to put Harrison Barnes in place of Javante or Derek Jones Jr. and have those guys come off the bench, and, and you know, if we think about the minutes that pa- pa- Patrick Williams was playing initially in this season, and you put Harrison Barnes in there, the team is seven and three right now. I think that would be, I think that'd be ten and zero if you had a power forward like Harrison Barnes right from the jump. So, 
Um, you know, if they had a player like Barnes playing power forward, maybe I would, would be going full C Red Fred. But um, I, I, I'm with the idea of going to get a big power forward or getting a power forward. I just don't think it needs to be a big like a, a Christian Wood. Why? Why were people laughing at that suggestion, Mark? I think that's a fantastic suggestion. Because it featured Patrick oh Williams my, being oh my traded, goodness. and everyone hated the idea of trading <laughs> wait, Patrick wait, Williams for Harrison. Wait, Barnes. wait, wait, Fred. Yeah. Did you just say Mark's idea was fantastic? <laughs> I just, did you read it we, somewhere else, we, Mark? I don't believe this? you came up with that. Can we can we put this in a diary? Do we have a second diary other than I forget the name of your other one? But like times, Mark came up with a great idea. Times Mark was right. Like, we need a new... He doesn't have enough storage on his phone for that phone. <laughs> wow. All right, sorry. Go ahead, go, ahead, go ahead, Fred. Harrison I, Barnes. I mean, Harrison Barnes, I don't, I don't know why you mean... Why you think he can't play power forward. He's 6'8", 225 I, I said he can pounds. play power forward. Well, good. Well, he's not small. That's my point. He's not a small power no, forward. No, but you were, making it, you were making the point last week that they needed another big bruiser that could go up against the opposing team's center. Yeah, 6'8", 225. No, no, You're not no. going to put Harrison Barnes on a center, but like you can you can have him as a switching type forward, as a, a small forward, power forward, whatever it may be. Just another another similarly-sized guy to DeRozan, but um, I, a I just game. Well, he's bigger than DeRozan. Like, I, I don't think people under, really truly understand the difference between 6'8", 225. And six four two zero five, which is what Javante Green is, and he's not. He's his athleticism doesn't cover up for that, and he, it's always going to be a major limitation for this team. I love, uh, you know, Derek Jones Jr. I think he's phenomenal, and his athleticism is even greater than Green's. But he's still like two hundred. He's two two zero five, and we're going to have issues. That continue to have issues with the Sixers. We're going to continue to have issues with um, the Bucks, who have a big front court. I mean, big big teams. We're going to have issues unless we get an, a new power forward in here. So I, I, I'm 100% behind that 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 idea. But Mark, I hate to say, it, I, I don't think there's a, any way in heck that Patrick Williams and a number one pick could return Harrison Barnes when you consider he's averaging 22.5 points per game. He's got a PER of 22, and I love the guy because he gets to the line 7.4 times per game. You know, I think he's fantastic. And yeah, you're right. Talk about an All Star team we'd have. Yeah, that's an interesting one only because it's it's very curious to know how Sacramento would feel about him, right? So Sacramento right now, yeah. as of as this exact moment, is 5-6. and six. That's probably the best they've been through 11 games in like 10 years or something stupid. Probably not fully 10 <laughs> years, but, but for a really long time, right? Like even 5-6, and yeah. six, which is not spectacular. Like this is a team that would probably be incredibly excited about a 500 season. And, you know, at the same time, they're a team like, well, are they really going anywhere? Are they going to extend Harrison Barnes? Do they view him as a long-term piece? And that's, that's kind of the question because he's got one more year in his contract. It's a, it's a great deal. It's not very highly priced. You know, like he's got one more year. Do they extend him? Do they want to keep him? And that's, that's really what it comes down to. If they view Harrison Barnes as someone they're going to keep, then it, you're not going to be able to pry him away. If they view themselves as a team that's still like got a bunch of spare parts and yeah, maybe they're kind of coming together now, but they still need to do something else, then they wouldn't trade him. And I, I kind of feel like they're probably in that boat only because like, like I said, a 500 season would be huge for them and they've not had that in forever. And they've been trying to rebuild forever through the draft. So I don't think this is a team that's like, oh, we've, we've been sitting on the treadmill for five years at like 42 to 45 wins and yeah, maybe we need to go in a draft to try and get a star. This is a team that's been in the draft trying to get a star for like a long time. And uh, I think they'd be just kind of like we were, right? Before this year, we were excited even just to get back to like 45 wins and would have been thrilled at the beginning of the season with like a 45-win season. Now I think we're looking at like we need 55 wins where our demands are up after the start of this year. But, you know, we would be excited for that. And so I, I don't think you'd be able to get Harrison Barnes, but if you could for Kobe White, Patrick Williams, and a first – 
which I think is sort of like that's the package we could trade without giving up something that's valuable to this season. If we get Harrison Barnes for that, I'm in as well. Yeah, I, I take your point. And, and look, I guess the theory is – and look, I don't know if I would trade all of that for Harrison Barnes and maybe the salaries don't work as well or maybe you have to include a Derek Jones Jr. and he's expiring $9 million or whatever it may be. Like, I guess what I'm su- suggesting is like they're the pieces that are that are in play that are, that are a part of a trade package, let's say. But to your point, yeah, I don't know if Sacramento would want to deal him right now. I, I guess my theory is that at some point the Kings will be the Kings and things will go bad and, and maybe they would – be more enticed by a younger version of a Harrison Barnes, let's say, which Patrick Williams may eventually become. Like, if this is my thing, like, if Patrick Williams could eventually become Harrison Barnes, like, that would be a very good outcome. The problem is that Patrick Williams is 20 years old and people think that he's going to be the next Kawhi Leonard. So, when you suggest that you're going to trade Patrick for Harrison Barnes, it's you've met with, um, uh, a lot of disappointment. I'll put it that way. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, if, if you could add, this version of Harrison Barnes to this version of this Bulls team and just go now. Yes, you're playing for the short term, short term. You're playing for the next two to three years, but look, I don't care. I don't, I don't value Patrick Williams enough to, to suggest that he's such a good commodity that you need to keep him for future years because he hasn't, he hasn't flushed enough to me to suggest that he's worth that. Like if you look at Scotty Barnes, for example, yeah. um, in Toronto, who's immediately stepped in and done, done a lot of things that I was hoping Patrick would do. You know, if, 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 pa- if Patrick Williams flushed, like Scotty Barnes did, then I wouldn't be putting him on the table for Harrison Barnes, but he hasn't, or at least to my my I, I, at least. And look, I feel I feel bad for for, for kicking him now, or given that he's out for the year, and and talking about trading Patrick and all this sort of stuff. But if we have to be realistic, if we're talking about going for a title, and we're talking about what the the Bulls have in terms of realistic assets, then. Then, then Patrick has to be on the table. I want to go and grab a Harrison Barnes. Ideally, I would love to get an OG and an Ubi, but I don't know. How is this even debatable? I mean, Patrick Williams, 125 minutes, had one offensive rebound this year. Yeah. Io had three in the first half. Like, he's not aggressive. He doesn't have a high motor. (laughs) I love how you just throw everything back to your main point. (laughs) Like, no matter what the (laughs) show is, you're like, you're talking. You come in with a talking point and you find a way to, like, sneak it into, like, every conversation. We're talking Patrick Williams. Here's here's Io. You know what? Io could get more offensive rebounds. Sorry, Fred. Back to you. Well, no, but three offensive rebounds in the first half. That is a flash. What what flash did we see this year? We saw nothing. Absolutely yeah, nothing. nothing. So, like, there was nothing that – can you remember anything that he did this year that was worth, you know, worth saying, we got to hold on to this guy. We can't get we can't get Harrison Barnes in here. It's like bizarro world. Like, he's lived off of that block in that game last year. The vast majority of his rookie year, he played 2,000 minutes. I, I can remember – I can kind of want to hand the amount of plays that I remember from him. I've already seen more from almost every rookie in this class. Even your buddy, uh, Giddy. So give me a break, man. Like, I, I would trade him today. You know, I think he's going to be closer to Marvin Williams. I hope I'm wrong, but I think he's going to be closer to Marvin Williams and Kwai. <laughs> I'll say, I hope I'm wrong. Yesterday? What's Wait, that? Did you see the clip that I put on Twitter yesterday of, of us on the, the draft party from 2020? I, I did see that. And that's a guy I'd love to bring in right now who's probably at a – you probably acquire him uh, due to his uh, severe hamstring injury. He'd be a great guy to bring in with a high motor. Uh, Isaac Okoro, I still believe, yeah, is going to yeah. be a better player. I thought he was better last year, and the voters agreed with me since he didn't have more, uh, you know, all rookie votes. And, but, and the you know, University why, why of the Utah, of that? University of Utah also agrees with you. Um, <laughs> no, it's Northeast Idaho. Northeast no. Idaho, sorry, the University of Northeast <laughs> Idaho. Uh, the the uh, thing I'll, I'll I'll add about this, I have two takes, which I think I believed from the moment that they were like valid. One is that Patrick Williams just doesn't seem like that great of a prospect to me. 
I felt that way kind of from the draft. I didn't care so much because it was just a, a draft without great prospects in it and a, a pick where there wasn't like a guy screaming to be taken. You know, I'd have been mm-hmm. fine if we'd taken Okoro. I was ultimately fine we took Williams. I'd have been fine with Halliburton. Like any yeah. of those guys, I thought like, yeah, they might be good, but they might not be. There's like a lot of risk here. There's not mm-hmm. such high upside with any of these guys. It's just that's just who was available. Like there wasn't like a, a pick screaming that I feel like, oh, you screwed up by doing this. But I wasn't excited about Patrick Williams and nothing has changed my mind since then. Um which is fine. And the other one is when we traded for Nikola Vucevic, and now I'm going to bring us into our next topic. I said, I didn't like this trade. I didn't like it at the time. I don't like it now. Nothing has changed my mind since it's happened. The one thing I'll say that sort of changed my mind, maybe kind of, is you wonder if we could have still signed Ball and we could have still signed DeRozan without having Vucevic on the roster. If that was a necessity to say, look, we have real other talented guys here. We're going to go for it now. Maybe that's part of it. Now, I think Lonzo Ball just wanted to be in Chicago because he wanted to be in a big market and was going to come either way. And I think DeMar DeRozan came because we offered him more money than anyone else and like a lot more money, not just like a teeny bit more money. And the amount of guys that give up a lot more money are like, you know, very small and there wasn't any place that was pursuing him that was like, oh, we're title favorites or anything. It was like he could go to the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard for like the, I think it was like the $5 million taxpayer MLE or something. Like it was just like there wasn't a, there wasn't like any place he was going to get real money and contend. He was going to give up something like $70 million to go to a good team. So that just wasn't, you know, in the card. So I think those guys would have come anyway. Uh, but, you know, Nikola Vucevic, I'm really appreciative of Zach Levine going so far out of his way to try to get this guy going. Like the amount of times Levine had the ball, generated a pretty good look for himself, and then dumped it off to Vucevic to try and get Vuce a really good makeable look so he could, you know, get going. I thought I counted like five times in that last game where he made a play where he had a shot and instead he gave up his decent look to give one to Vuce to try and get Vuce going. And Vuce didn't convert a whole lot of those looks. He did convert uh, at least one of them in the, the fourth quarter. Uh, but but I thought like Zach is really showing a lot of good leadership trying to get Vooch going, you know, and, and knowing like, hey, we, we need to make this happen at some point. You know, like I, we got to keep this guy's confidence up. We got to keep him keep him working. He's in a slump right now. We got to figure out a way to help him get out of this slump. He was three for three in the fourth quarter. And then beyond that, you know, kind of nice shooting performance that he finally had. You know, he, he had a big block. He had a, a couple of big contested rebounds that were difficult. You know, I thought he played really solid and was actually a really big piece to the Bulls just completely running away from Brooklyn at the end. You know, his three-pointer actually put them, you know, I think that was one of their, gave them the lead the first time or like extended the lead to, from like one point to four or something. But it was like a really key shot when he made it, uh, when when they were built. It was kind of like the beginning of that momentum build. So hopefully he can build on that quarter. But Vooch has certainly been disappointing. I've been leading the Vooch as a disappointing guy charge uh, all all along, and I'm, I'm not super confident. Uh, so just pulse of the room. What do you feel about Vucevic over the next uh, 10, 20 games. Do you think like me that this might be a long-term problem or do you think this is a short-term problem? Uh, and uh, I'll go over to you, Mark. Well, Doug, if you've been leading the uh, the anti-Vucevic movement, let's say, then I've been the opposite where I've been maybe a little too apologetic. Um, at least that's what people are telling me. Um, but look, I, just his mere presence, I think, matters to this Bulls team. And it matters because, you know, he's still he's clanking shots I don't think it's a skill thing. I don't think it's a technique thing. I don't think this guy's just suddenly forgot how to play basketball a few months after having a 23, uh, 12 and 4 type season. I don't think that's the case here. I think this is clearly a guy that's for whatever reason in his own head, got confidence issues. He's just missing the most easiest shots that we've seen him make. So this to me is is something mentally going on with, with Vooch. We'll call it the Yips, call it something else. I don't know. Um, it's, it's a severe slump, obviously, but he hasn't been bad every single game. He was good against the Knicks. He was good against the Raptors. 
He's had, you know, eight of ten bad, bad games, which again is not ideal. I'm not suggesting That's he's playing pretty bad. You know, well. <laughs> I'm not suggesting he's playing well. Let me let me make that clear. But I guess my point is like even in that Nets game where his own offensive performance was bad, like he he mattered. Like he had thirteen rebounds, he had five assists yesterday, he had he led the team in assists, his playmaking still matters, and teams still guard him like a shooter to a degree, where Blake Griffin is coming out to guard Vucevic, which matters because that allows, particularly in particular for DeRozan, to get inside a lot much, a lot easier. Like if you had a traditional rolling type center, if you had Tony Bradley playing more minutes, that guy's eating up room in the paint. Whereas Vuce is stepping out more, either as a shooter or as a playmaker, and and that sort of still matters to me. So he's still doing things well on the offensive end, even if he's struggling with his own score, and defensively as well. Like. Vooch is never going to win Defensive Player of the Year, but he is doing everything he needs to be doing from a defensive standpoint. He's not a weak link. That doesn't mean I'm not suggesting he's um you know anchoring the defense out by any means, but he's doing fine defensively. So basically, if he can just get his shot to a mean level, then we're still talking about an All Star level player. Am I concerned? No, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not concerned at all. I think he'll get it together at some point. This just is just a really bad slump, and I think well, for whatever reason we forget that this is a guy that has never really been a third or second option before. He's still learning how to play with Zach Levine, let alone playing with Zach and DeRozan. He's never played with this level of perimeter scorers before, so that's an adjustment he's making. But just more generally, he, for whatever reason, he just can't make a basket. But everything else he's doing on the court that matters matters right now. So uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too apologetic. Maybe um maybe you're more right on this than I am, Doug. But uh, I I think Vooch will be fine. I think he's been better than some have suggested. But um yeah, maybe I'm just sticking up for him a little bit too much. Well, I'm probably somewhere in the middle between both of you. I I, I hold rebounding very. I think it's a very important and underrated aspect of the game, and I think he's done that better than any player on this team. So he's brought value in that aspect of the game. But <laughs> listen, Arturis doesn't make this trade. If if he thinks that he's suddenly going to lose his ability to hit the three, to me that was the biggest reason he was acquired. Is that he was when he was acquired, he was shooting over forty percent from three, on major th- over six attempts per game. And my concern is that if you look at his career, he's a thirty five percent three point shooter, and in the years before that. Is it possible that was an outlier? He shot 33, 36, 31, 30, 22. You know, so going back in time. Worth noting, if you go back, he's only shot threes in volume for like, I think it's like two years. Two years. It's like you go before that. It's like he just didn't shoot threes. I mean, it's like ignoring his percentages, he was like at one a game or less or, you know, two a game or less. Like he he didn't shoot him enough to really have any gauge on it. That's right. And. You know, some of the, some of my friends have argued. Well, he's great in the post, but I would argue that's not going to be- benefit the team or optimize our offense yeah. because yeah. all you're doing when you're throwing Vucevic in the post is you know clogging up the lane for Zach and and uh, and DeRozan. So it does in ball and to really play at a high pace. And so you know, where are we going to go with this? Like I brought it up on Twitter that I think I can't even believe it was such a controversial statement, and I'll, I'll quote it. Wendell Carter Jr. is a significantly better player right now than Vucevic. And people went nuts. And I don't think that's debatable. What's what, I mean, Wendell just had, you know, 22-14-6 against Utah. I, I suggested, would you rather have that trade back? And, you know, let's just assume that we could have brought in DeRozan and Ball. I don't think there's any argument you'd rather have that trade back. It, it, I think we could have acquired Simmons with the assets we had and brought him in to play center. 
And I'd rather have Ben Simmons than Vucevic right now. You know, that said, I still think he's going to turn it around. I, there's no way he can play this bad uh, for the rest of the year. He's too good of a basketball player. And he does a lot of good things well, but he's got to be able to hit the open jumper. That's his value. That's what the most important thing that he does for his team is create open lanes for the other perimeter scorers on his team. If he can't do that, we're not going to come close to achieving what I think our ceiling is. Yeah, and that, I think the thing with Vooch is my concerns with him. He's always been a pedestrian efficiency guy. He's never been like a high efficiency guy. And so he was a pedestrian efficiency guy on a bad team. And so now he's sort of like the third wheel in a big three. And you look at a couple guys I brought up, Chris Bosch and Kevin Love, who were guys who kind of ended up in that same role, right? They were guys who were number one options on not so great teams. You know, the Raptors were maybe okay with Bosch as the number one option, but they weren't great. And and the Timberwolves obviously didn't do anything with Kevin Love as the number one option. So they moved to become the third option for LeBron-led teams. And, you know, clearly our first two guys aren't LeBron and Wade and they aren't LeBron and Kyrie, to be to be honest. But they became third options for those guys. And their efficiencies actually went down. Like both of them became less efficient, even though theoretically they just got to hit open jump shots now. But their efficiency mm-hmm. numbers actually went down a little bit. And their volume also went down. And so I look at Vooch and he seems to be kind of going through that same thing, right? Like his, his volume is down and his efficiency is way down now. And I don't think that's going to – I think all of us think he'll shoot the ball better than he has so far. My question really, though, is like, can he get up to, you know, like if he's less than he was, he was already a little bit less than league average. Like he's like a 53% true shooting percentage guy for his career. You know, like we kind of need him to actually be a guy who raises his efficiency and easier looks. You know, we need him to be a guy who can give you, you know, maybe 15 points a game on, you know, near 60% true shooting percentage. Which, you know, surprisingly was actually very similar to what Larry Markkinen did last year, if I want to throw something really controversial out there. But, you know, Vooch <laughs> does add a lot to Mark's point. He adds like, and, and Lowry didn't add any of these things, but he adds a lot to the table in terms of his rebounding, his passing. You know, he, he's getting like, I think, close to five assists a game. You know, he can play a little bit of that hub role in the offense that that Young played last year to, to move the ball quickly side to side. And I think his assist numbers actually in some ways are lower than they could be because Zach's been in a huge shooting slump since the hand. Which, which kind of gets me into my next point. Zach Levine, his three-point percentage since the hand has been uh, abysmal. I think my Frater. buddy uh, and Mark's yeah. buddy, Morton Jensen, uh, said it was 25% since the hand injury. I, I didn't go back and look it up, but Mort's a, a smart guy, so I'm sure that's probably correct. Uh, what do you think? Is the, the hand bothering Zach, or is it really just uh, that it's just a, a slump and shooters sometimes go through slumps? Uh, what say you? Well, I think it's a combination of shot selection and he picked it up. He picked up the hint. <laughs> I would say, uh, I mean, theoretically, an injury to the left hand should have zero effect on your shot if you're a right-handed shooter. You really I mean, think that's true? Ball, I, I do. I do feel true. that way. I do feel that you way. You ever the ball, play with an injured guide hand on your shot? Yes, I. I it, yes, it, okay, it's like hurt. zero yeah. effect. Zero effect. Yeah, some effect. Right. Some effect, but it's not technically for shooting with correct form. It shouldn't affect the trajectory of your shot because your left hand should not be making contact with the ball when it's released. So, yeah, you might have a little bit of pain as you're as you're jumping up, but I think his issue has been far more been with shot selection. He's taken a lot of bad shots, in my opinion, especially down a stretch against the Sixers. You know, step back threes, and he just it's hasn't kind of his shot. Just saying. No, it's not. That's kind of is. He kind of shoots really, a lot of those all year. Like, <laughs> well, I I prefer it when he's getting good shots out of a, you know pass. You know, going from uh, 
um, Vucevic or DeRozan, you know, setting him up for open threes. I, I think he's had an issue a little bit with shot shot selection. Yeah, but you're probably right. It's probably having a negative impact. It has to be because all of a sudden he's down at 31% from three. So um, that has to get better for Zach. I mean, his, his shooting is so important for us, and it will. I mean, how many people are worried about Zach Levine's three-point shooting? He'll be back up to 39% and probably within two weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, his, his hand is definitely impacting his shot. Like, it, it shouldn't maybe impact his mechanics if he's like in a catch and shoot situation but if he's if he's dribbling left and he's gathering to on the left left hand side of the court then maybe it's not affecting the actual shot but it's affecting the rhythm of the shot which maybe for whatever reason is ultimately impacting the shot but i think i think the big thing with zach is shot selection i i i don't think zach has played that well this season which is saying a lot given his numbers are still damn good and, and that really speaks to how how good i feel zach can be but I don't think he's played that well. Um, I, I certainly don't think his shot selection has been that good. I think his defense has regressed a little bit as well, more off, more so off ball than than on ball. But I don't think Zach has been particularly good this season. That isn't to say he's been bad and he's hurting the team or that uh, I'm going to go completely Joe Cowley and think this guy isn't worth a max contract or anything like that because that would just be absolutely stupid. But I, I haven't really been uh, enamored with what I've seen from Zach thus far. He, and, and and I guess I'm I'm gonna make that a pass because you know he's clearly hurt. He maybe even shouldn't be playing. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is more of a shot selection thing. And uh, some of the shots that he is taking, whether it's a mid range shot, whether it's a three point shot, then they're just not good shots. So I think that's contributing. I do think uh, the hand is contributing. And you know, combine all that up, uh, and the fact that the Bulls just generally aren't a good shooting team, so maybe they are swarming him. Um, on, on, the, on the perimeter or maybe he's taking more shots to, towards the back end of the clock which he ideally wouldn't want to be taking I'm not overly concerned we all know Zach can shoot um, at some point it's going to come good but I, I kind of wish he would clean up that shot selection just a little bit more you know I'm just going to throw this out there Zach Levine in his poor shooting form awful offensive player that he is uh, shooting <laughs> 56% from two and uh, true shooting percentage of 59.6% that, yeah, uh, that well, terribly, that's what I'm terribly like, I don't think he's been good, but like if you look at the, at the base numbers, are, are just damn good. Like, so, like there's there's a level for him to go, I guess. So yeah, I, I say it. Mark, I'll, Mark is touching on something. I say, Doug, this is what I brought up in the last big red bus or two two big red buses ago. Like the numbers say he's playing great, but I also did not feel that he was, was in the hidden footage. It was <laughs> he was playing stellar. Like he's still great and everything, but. Like he was over five down the stretch against Philly. He was the big reason to me we lost that game in Q four. Yeah, 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 he was terrible. I, he was terrible. In that I believe. Game. I believe both you guys. I mean, I actually agree. He's not playing his best. I'm just saying, in aggregate, his numbers are still fantastic. Even his efficiency numbers. Like he's not yeah. even just jacking up shots. Like, like where you feel like at times the thing that's interesting about Zach so far to me this year is it's just like everything is massively streaky. Like there's so many times where he misses like five in a row, and then he makes like six in a row, and then at the end he's like he's like shooting fifty percent. But it just seems like he's either very off or very on. Like, like yeah, yeah. not just like I make one, I miss one. But like it's really just like I'm on fire and you cannot stop me. I am Michael Jordan reincarnate or I am, uh, you know, Marcus Teague out here just throwing crap around. Like it's just like there's no in between with Zach this year. And, and that definitely gives you those feelings where you need him and he's in Marcus Teague mode where it's just not just not not going for him. And, and you know, like that stretch against Philly is one of those – one of those stretches, you know, the one thing I'll say, I really appreciate, like I said, how Zach's leadership to me looks really good. He defers a lot at the beginning of games. I think he got that message. You know, someone said, I believe it was you, Mark, last podcast, we really need to see Zach do more at the beginning of a game 
And then at the beginning of this Brooklyn game, Zach just went out and like scored a bunch in the first quarter and yep. went off and got the Bulls off to a good start. And we saw that. I, I see him really looking for teammates together, people involved. I think I, I'm like I think it's just the only thing I have not liked about him is his three point shooting percentage. You know, since the the hand injury, but otherwise I've been actually really happy with Zach's play. The shot selection is a thing, but that Zach's always had that shot selection. Like last year when he was shooting great, he was taking weird step back threes at times. And you kind of feel like you don't need to do that this year anymore. Like we got other guys and that's probably why it stands out more. Like last year you understood it. You're like, yeah, who's he going to pass the ball to? No one. Well, this year now there's other guys who can take those shots. So you forgive them a little bit less. And I think that's part of the continuity that I'll just grow with this group, you know, as, as time goes on. But, you know, I, I think that hand is definitely bothering him. I'm going to give a couple examples. I know it's always scary when you use your real life playing examples of basketball and then like say how they might uh, project onto an NBA court. <laughs> well, but, Fred does it all the time. So. <laughs> exactly. but, but it's fine. So like a couple of things I've had a lot, you know, you guys know I've had a couple of different surgeries um, and recovered. And so it's just like there's a point where you know, I'm basically fine. Uh, but like there's just like a twinge of like pain, like just at the top of like a shot or something. And just that twinge. And just the the mental thought that that twinge is going to come and that mental thought of like, maybe it's going to hurt when I raise my arm up to shoot right now, or maybe I'm going to feel pain here. It just really throws off my rhythm and it's really hard to get a good clean shot. And so I look at this from Zach's perspective, like I'm gathering up the ball to now go shoot a three and maybe I'm my gather because your gather is always going to be with both hands. You know, maybe I'm my gather. I feel this pain as I grip the ball with the left hand and it comes every time. And that twinge of that, even though it's not bad, that twinge of that for that split second is enough, even though you release the, that, that, that guide hand is now not touching the ball when your actual shot comes off. That's enough just to throw off your shot a little bit. And that's the difference between, you know, swishing a shot and being off by two inches and, you know, hitting back iron and like, you know, throw off. So I, I think that, I think the hand is definitely a big factor of it. And it'll be interesting to see how, how he, you know, just goes over. But, you know, that, that said, I still am pretty happy with Levine. So, so Fred, you've always got one oddball topic. I'm going to throw it to you now. <laughs> What's what's the oddball topic for the day? What are we going to close this off for? We got favorite foods. We got rock bands from the seventies. Parenting advice. I don't know. Like you, you got something good uh, that you need to throw out, throw out for us to try and figure out, throw us off our, our game. Well, you want you want to talk about Scotty Pippen? The, oh the yeah, we got to talk about Scotty Pippen. We got to talk about Scotty Pippen. I like to talk about Scotty because he's it. really been uh, he's really <laughs> hit a new high. Put it mildly. <laughs> um, well, you want me to get my thoughts first, and Mark, you can yeah, go throw, on with your throw, incorrect throw, one. Throw them out there, Fred. I, I'm, so, I, I think I'm on, on your page with this one. Let, let's start out with this. Uh, Mark, were you alive on June 3rd, 1990? Were you dead? Yeah. Or, uh, or were you not in existence? <laughs> <What? laughs> <laughs> <I'm dead. laughs> were, were, were you in existence on June 3rd, I was alive. I was breathing. I was not dead. Um, I can confirm that I was alive. But you weren't watching anything, right? So, like, I, I kind of find this similar to your IO comments where you watched like eight <laughs> minutes of him and were condemn, condemning him as a draft pick. Turn from Minnie Cooper. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, Brought so, it back you know, to IO. <laughs> Scotty, you know, Scotty's been attempting to diminish, you know, Michael's legacy for a while now by building his own. And Jordan's legacy is going to stand forever. Like, he's the greatest player I ever saw. No one's even close. LeBron is maybe a, a stone's throw away, but he'll always have the stain of 2011 that will never be erased. So as a fan base, you know, people who are listening to this don't remember. Uh, Mark doesn't remember 1990, but I remember the 90s very well. And I remember June 3rd, 1990, when the game seven against the Pistons in 42 minutes, Scotty went one to 10, 
shooting with four rebounds, two assists, and two points. Meanwhile, MJ put up 31, nine assists, and eight boards. I remember Xavier McDaniel in 92, you know, basically pushing around him throughout the entire Knicks series. I remember 8 of 22 in game seven versus the Knicks in 94 when he sat out 1.8. I remember 6 of 17 against Utah in the signing <laughs> game in 97. I remember games three and four against Indiana when he shot 5 of 14 from the line and bricked two shots that led to Reggie Miller beating us. Um, I remember when he was traded to the uh, Rockets, he went 3 of 10 in a deciding game in the playoffs there. When he was traded to the Blazers, he went 3 of 13 in a deciding game, elimination game. Do you see a pattern here? The pattern here is in every year in a critical deciding game, Scottie Pippen fell short offensively. So he should get down on his knees every night and thank the good Lord that he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls and played with the world's best player, Michael Jordan, who never faltered. Never faltered when it mattered. And I hear this ongoing nonsense over the past few years about, you know, oh, you know, actually, Scotty was really great and he was close to it. Nobody who lived through that period ever had any faith in Scotty Pippen making a big shot. Think of, go and remember all the big shots from the 90s. What do you think of Pax in 93? You think of Steve Kerr against Utah? You think of uh, obviously many with Michael, but you know who doesn't come to mind? Scotty Pippen. Why? It wasn't because he wasn't given a chance. You know, nobody talks about the 93 series against the Suns when he had two chances to win a game in those middle series in overtime, and he bricked all those shots. Phil Jackson was smart and realized Scotty didn't have that in him. He wasn't a clutch player, and for that, it really irritates me when I see these idiotic comments that go on and on. And you know what bothers me even more? is the people that weren't there who try to justify it. So, Mark, I'll turn it over to you for your turn to try to justify it. Well, just because I was dead in 1990, <laughs> I'm still not over that comment. But th- that doesn't mean I haven't gone back and watched these things, Frederick. So, yes, I didn't live through it. But at the same time, it's not like I never saw these things or have, have no idea what you're talking about. And I do – I do. Uh, you didn't need to prepare for this topic. Did you just I didn't listen prepare. to yourself? I, I wrote these down these off things. the top of my head. I wrote these down. In my head, I remembered every one of these games that Scottie Pippen had. Every That's what year I'm saying. Pe- you don't have pe- to prepare. You've got were, all this in the back of your head. Were you in an argument with someone about Scottie Pippen like 20 years ago? And like, did it Many take times, you this, this long to like bring it up? Because like, you you seem to have like a, a powerful <laughs> mental note of like every time Pippen did something bad, like like because like I'm sure we could go back and find lots of great Pippen performances as well. But and I agree with sure. you, not, not as a closer, or whatever. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Well, look, my, my issue isn't about Pippen the player and, and Pippen, Pippen's shortcomings. Like, if you're a player like Scottie Pippen, yes, you're going to have shortcomings because you're not the greatest of all time like Michael Jordan. Like, you can go through every single player who's a similar type player to Scottie Pippen in terms of where they stand ultimately in the game. Those players are going to have shortcomings in, in critical moments throughout their, throughout their career. Like, that's just, you can make that same argument about literally every other guy maybe beyond Jordan. All right. Well, so that's fine. My issue isn't with that. My issue is with people saying Scotty isn't allowed to have his comments now about Michael Jordan or Scotty should be super appreciative of the fact that he was drafted by the Bulls and he can't really or he doesn't deserve to have his say about whatever it may be because he, he was fortunate and lucky to be playing with Michael Jordan, lucky to be drafted or not drafted, but traded to the Bulls to be to be a Bull. He owes everything to Jordan, all this sort of crap. Like, no, that's, that's that is nonsense. Like, I hate the fact that Jordan is revered for being this asshole when then someone else, you know, goes and be their own version of an asshole and we come and condemn that type of player. It just annoys me the 
the uh, the way that is treated, the um, the fact that it's not consistent. And I get that Jordan gets a pass in it because he is Jordan, but it, it just irritates me. Like if if Scotty feels this way, he's allowed to voice whatever whatever he feels he's allowed to voice, I suppose. And I don't understand why we just you know what? Why are we invalidating all these comments that Scotty has made about Jordan being a bad teammate or Jordan because being selfish? Because it's stupid, Mark. Like, it's no, stupid. It's, not. it's to Why say it's that stupid? Michael Jordan was selfish for retiring right before the 93-94 season because after his father was murdered is stupid. It's ridiculous and it's dumb. And accuse Michael of being selfish for waiting to retire. Oh, after his father father was murdered. And then not calling it selfish to sit out when Phil calls out for a play for 1.8 left to go to Tony, who had performed time and time again in those situations. It's stupid. It's ridiculous, and it's nauseating, and it makes me sick. And why are you bringing this up now in a, in a resurgent year for the beloved Bull? You're bringing because it up the last now? Dance. The guy's a moron, Because the last man. dance. But all yeah. the, he's, having this, he's having this conversation now because the last dance happened, and the last dance was a, a Michael Jordan propaganda film. Like, no, let, it wasn't. Let's be clear. Yes, it was. It, it wasn't a, a factual Chicago documentary, documentary of the greatest player of all time. I'm sorry because he did so many amazing yeah. things. We it was a Michael Jordan propaganda stuff? film. Yeah. You know what I love about this is you're both wrong, and I get to tell you why. It's like so rare that so rare that this happens. <laughs> First, like Mark, I'm gonna start with this. Yeah, Scotty Pippen has the right to say whatever he wants to say. He has the right yeah. to his opinion and to express his view of what happened. And everyone else who watched this has the right to say, Your opinion is stupid. Fuck you. <laughs> Your opinion is dumb. I don't have to listen to it or validate it. You were there, whatever, you got this opinion about what happened. But objectively, it's just idiotic. Like it just is. Like this is a dude, like Fred said, who who like he did so many incredibly selfish things, so many things because he was just bitter. Time and time again for like 20 plus years, Pippen has shown that he is just a bitter, bitter person. He's lost two children. I think that weighs super heavily on him. I think he is emotionally and mentally in need of help, like just real mental help. And so mm. I think he's probably also broke and needs the money and is like doing some of the stuff for the money. Some of it is just like this constant insecurity he has for his whole career in terms of like just playing second fiddle to Michael Jordan. And I guess maybe, Fred, you're not wrong. Maybe I agree with almost everything you said. (laughs) There was something I was going to say that disagreed with you, but I can't come with that. I disagree that Scotty has been selfish, that Scotty has said dumb things, that Scotty continues to say dumb things. He accused Phil Jackson of being racist for calling out a play for Tony Kukoc. How stupid is that? He discussed discussed like how, how terrible a person John Paxson was you know, and like how he screwed him over his whole career because that was like, a great story, by the way. Because any, he like, it's like, Paxson oh stuff. yeah, like I, I John Paxson, what a jerk this guy is. He gave me ten million dollars to play twenty three games for the Bulls because he felt bad that they didn't give me this other huge contract after they also gave me fifty five million dollars to go play for the Rockets, which I couldn't have done if I if it weren't for them helping me out, and we got like nothing back for it. Like, okay, fine. You know, like, and then, then afterwards, the Bulls gave him a job as an ambassador where all he do is sit freaking drunk on the sideline all the time because he was broke. Yeah, to meet and then fans. He, then he had to complain about, that. like, how, yeah. oh, I didn't get to do real work. Shut up, dude. Shut up. You know why you didn't get to do real work? Because you're lousy at it. You know how I know that? Because for like the last 20 years, no one has freaking hired you and kept you around to do anything. You know why? Because you're lousy at it. You had lots of opportunities. He tried working with the Lakers. He tried working with the Bulls. No one would touch this guy if he was any good at it or wanted to commit to it or really wanted to do it. There would have been a ton of teams willing to be like, oh, Hall of Famer, superstar, Scottie Pippen, who's like do everything type of guy. Yeah, of course we want that guy to try and help us out. But he didn't stick anywhere. And it wasn't because like, oh, he was just 
didn't get any chances and no one would dare touch him. Why? It's ridiculous. Of course teams would have loved to have worked with Pippen if he was willing to put in the time, effort, and was any good at what he was doing. But he wasn't. He wasn't willing to do any of those things. He was willing to show up and be drunk on the sidelines and then talk about how bad the Bulls are while they employed him on ESPN. Screw that guy. I can't think of anyone who has spent more time trying to burn every bridge that has been laid out for this guy. All these people have done all kinds of crap for him because he took a victim stance his whole damn career. So I love Scottie Pippen for what he did for when he was a bull, like amazing. But I can't think of any guy who has just gone further out of his way to make everyone who liked him fall more out of love with him. This is a guy who should be incredibly revered and instead is like just gone off and just tried to give the finger to anyone trying to say a nice thing to him for the last 25 years. So, you know what? That's a, that's my feelings of Pippen. Hope this was educational for you, Mark. I really <laughs> no, it wasn't. I wasn't listening to you. <laughs> uh, I, I take Doug's point. But uh, again, just to reiterate my point, like I don't disagree that Scotty is a douchebag at times. Like that's clear. But my, my, my issue with this How about thing like 80% is- of the time? <laughs> my issue with this thing is like we revere Jordan for being a psycho, for being an arsehole, for being the, the lunatic that the last dance you know depict him as because that's what he is. Why but is then, he a psycho? You get to you get what to do be you mean, why is he a psycho? You get to be a, you get to be why. a lunatic in that sense, in the sense Jordan was when you win six titles. That's the best <laughs> yeah, player exactly. ever that, that, that's all fine, but I guess my my point is it, it just annoys me how we revere Jordan Jordan for those things we and don't then when someone else things. has the goal to Mention we him because he, he won six things. titles. No, we but revere him do. because he's the greatest basketball player ever, and he also happened to be a sociopath. Oh, there's more than that. Like it's part of the narrative. We we saw it in the Last Dance that people talk about Jordan being this absolute psycho, and they and that they talk about it in a positive sense. Like that that's fine. Only like, because he's the best player it. ever. Right? I know, but like that, if he's that, Randy Brown, fact. we aren't revering him for that. He's just not he's, on an NBA yeah. roster. He was trying to win titles, Mark. He was trying to drag up these other stiffs to his level, oh, and he did a pretty good job of it. You know, so I I, I, mean, I actually don't I, revere Jordan for being a sociopath. Like, you know, I think it's part of his. A lot legacy. of people do, though. A lot of people do. Yeah, they they, they try and be like, yeah, oh, he had to do this. I don't think he had to do this. Kindness is free. No, you don't you don't ever have to be a jerk. Did. No, you don't. You never have to be you, a jerk. You know, you know, Judd Bushler is Judd Bushler. He's a bum. And and if he wasn't on the team with Michael, he would have never been anything. And it was clear when he left the team where Judd, you know, Judd Bush a little. Yeah, but I don't think Jordan. I got practice. Jordan being a jerk didn't help out any in that sense. Yeah, but I I don't. uh, When was he a jerk? Like, uh, let's let's talk about it. When he yelled at somebody and kidding me, like like, he's the only guy to ever do that. They even showed in the last dance he was a jerk. Like he'd be on the bus, like making fun of people. He'd be like bullying people. He'd bully like Jerry Krause as an example. Like like what what possible basketball advantage? But what you think possible Pippen was nice to Jerry Krause? No, My no. Goodness. But if Jordan was nice to him, it would have been totally different, don't you think? Yeah. But who knows? Maybe, maybe there was a reason why he wasn't being nice to yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Either way, I'm just saying, was. kindness yeah, is yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. No reason he had to be that type of person to get those results. That's true. But I know people that Michael was kind to. And yeah, I know yeah, yeah. People I he did stuff for. He's, he's a complex human being, like a yeah, lot of people. He was are. a sociopath. It's easy on the for everybody court. to talk. It's easy for people to talk on their couch about what a jerk he was when they've never done anything, as Michael pointed out. Like I don't think he was a jerk. I think he was a driven individual who wanted yeah. to win. And and I, I respect and I, I love the man. And he I did, he did lots of charity stuff, right? There's a difference between how yeah. you interact, like. Like the basketball world is just a wild world compared to like it's not comparable. Like like it's just not comparable to a different career. So it's yeah. like I think he guys. I got to go. Yeah. I got basketball practice. I'm nah, late. Screw those right. kids. All right. <laughs> well, with that we'll end it there. We'll end it there. I'm, Good teach, luck to I'm teaching kids greatness. I'm gonna give them the Michael Jordan. <laughs> that sounds that. great. We've got Four great lessons one. after the show. All right, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Bulls Beat. We will catch you guys next week.